as we are uh, in Romans chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13. Paul is taking great lengths to tell us about God's dealing with the nation of Israel. In fact, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about how he is dealing with the nation of Israel. And we can look at this and, and kind of see it distant, like, what does that mean to me? What, what do I have to do with the nation of Israel back in that time in Paul's day? What, why does that affect my life in our economic situation as it is with the tensions that there are in Afghanistan, in Iraq, not to mention other areas of the world, the poverty that is there. What does this have to do with me? How does it relate to me? Why is this important? And we need to recognize that the nation of Israel is a model for us to learn from. That the things the nation went through are things that we go through, not only as a nation, but as individuals. They have times of faith, times of doubt, belief, unbelief, obedience, disobedience. God reveals himself. They hear, they ignore, they obey, they turn away. All these things that take place with the nation of Israel take place with us as well. And it's rich for our learning to see what is taking place in the nation of Israel, how God had ministered to them, what he has done, and what that means to us. And as we look at chapter 10, verse 5 through 13, it says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are preaching or proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul has been battling. How is it that these Gentiles who have been so far away from the scriptures that were given, from the law that God gave to Moses, how could these people who are so far away be welcomed so readily in to the kingdom to be able to receive the Messiah and we Jews who have known the law, who have had the prophets, who have had the writings, do not get this privilege. How can that be? And he's been battling this with them. And we see actually in verse, end of verse 4 where he talks about 
Christ is the end of the law so that there may be a righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the the completion. He's not the abolition or destroying of the law, but he is the fulfillment of the law. And all these things that Paul is talking about is pointing to who Jesus is. And in these verses that we read and prior to them, we see the word righteousness. It takes place over and over and over again. And it's an important word. And and what does it mean to be righteous? What is righteousness about and why is it so important? Why is Paul repeating it over the righteousness of the law, the righteousness by faith? Why do we need righteousness? And what we're going to look at just briefly and, and actually what he's bringing to bear is what we know as justification, the doctrine of justification. Righteousness means to be in the right standing. And we're talking about the right standing with God. You know what it's like to be in right standing with people, or maybe it's easier to understand if you're in the wrong standing with people. Then we know where we should be because where we're not. Those of you who are married, you know what that's about. Guys, you know when you're not in the right standing with your wife? You know, you're on icy ground. You have to, you know, you said something, you know, whatever it was. I'm not even going to say anything because I don't want to be in wrong standing. You do something, you say something, and it bothers them. And so they're bothered with you, and there's that tension. There is that separation. There is not the relationship and communication that you normally have because you're not in right standing. When you are in right standing, when you bring the flowers and say, I'm sorry, and she says, okay, and you have the, the reconciliation, you're brought back, and now the communication is open. Well, we're talking about right standing with God. And how can we be in the right standing with God? And for that to take place, there has to be justification. We have to be put into the right place. We have to be in an area just as if we did not do what was wrong. And justification has three parts. First is the universality of sin. The recognition that Paul said in three... Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in a place that is separated from who God is. It says that in the Old Testament as well. In 1 Kings 8.46, it says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. We are all in the same boat. And we know this from Scripture, but we know this from our lives as well, if we're honest with ourselves. We know that we do not live as we should live. And it's amazing because those who have faith in Jesus believe and know this, and those who don't also, if they're honest, will understand and recognize the same truth. You ask someone, are you as good as you should be? And they'll say, well, no. Why not? The answer is sin. The answer is something is amiss within you. There is a bent in our nature, in our character, that separates us from who we should be and what God asks of us to be. And so there is the recognition, the universality of sin. There is the perfection of God. In Him is light and no darkness at all. God is holy, perfect. How do we come before a God who is perfect with our imperfections 
How can we come to Him and, and be pleasing to Him when we have the things within us that are displeasing to Him? There is that separation. And so what needs to take place is there needs to be a bridging of the gap. And that's what Jesus is here for. Second, in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one person who is able to cross that gap of where God is, where we are, and bring us together to justify us. That is what he's talking about in righteousness. It is the doctrine of justification, who we are, who God is, and what Jesus did to bring us to the place where God is. And this is foundational and it's important. But you see, what Paul is doing here is explaining for us why Israel missed the point of her own law. He's explaining how they read about themselves, but they didn't get the point of what God was trying to say. God had given them the law to point them to Christ, to, to show them what was going to come, but they didn't get it. And he's telling us this because as they read their story and didn't see the point, are we reading our story and not seeing the point? Do you know why your conscience and your failures and, and your feelings of guilt are there? Do you know why you feel the way you do when you do those things that aren't right? Do you understand that there is a purpose behind those things? Do you recognize the point to those things that are a part of your nature? Just like Israel needed to recognize the point of the law that was pointing them to how to get to Christ, how to get to God, how to believe, God is doing the same thing with us. Do we recognize that point? Do we understand? Do we hear his voice? And are we responsive to that? Israel failed to see that her law, her history, was meant to lead her to Christ for righteousness by faith, not by works. I explained this and shared this Thursday. I shared this actually when we were in Mexico too as we were going through the book of Galatians, an illustration that the law is like a, a train track. It's like a railroad track that is leading us to Jesus Christ. It is showing us the way to who he is. And what they did is they took that law that was pointing them to Christ and they tried to take it and make it into a ladder to get to heaven. And you can't do that. It will point you to who you need to go to, but it is not enough to get you there. You can't earn your way to heaven. You are not perfect. You are incomplete. And it doesn't matter how good you are, you ain't good enough. How good do you have to be to please God? Pretty good, I would think. You know, every now and then, I might be playing guitar and someone will say, oh, wow, you're good. You know, I go, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And then they'll go see someone who, who really plays, who, who's really good. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, you're really not that good. Now, he, he's good. And you have this big gap from just playing guitar, you know, people who are just learning basic chords, people who can do okay, carry their own, and people who just got talent. Well, 
even more so with God. You've got people who live good lives, who, who seem just reputable in our sight, but when you compare it to God, oh man, you're just learning, buddy. You don't have it. And the nation of Israel was missing the mark. They were trying to, to use the law to get them to this place of righteousness when it was meant to point them to Christ. And then Paul talks about two forms of righteousness that are there. A righteousness that comes from the law and a righteousness that comes from faith in verses 5 through 8. He says... Moses described in this way, the righteousness that is by the law, the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you're going to follow the law, you have to follow all the law. You have to live by the law. You cannot falter at all. Otherwise, you are a lawbreaker and you have fallen. That's the righteousness of the law. There is a way to God by the law. It is follow it completely and never fail. Anyone able to do that? No, we can't do that. It's right, it's good, it's showing us the truth, but it's also showing us Jesus, who did fulfill the law. Which brings us to the second point, the law that is there from faith. And that's in verse 6 where he says, But the righteousness, but the things, excuse me, but the righteousness that is by faith says, now, the righteousness by faith says, and then what does he do? He quotes the law. He's using the law to prove the necessity of faith. The righteousness that is by the law, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And so there's a righteousness that comes from faith. And notice, notice carefully that Paul refers to Christ's incarnation in these verses. To bring him down in verse 6 and, and to his resurrection, to bring him up from the dead. The point that he's getting to is that there is nothing Israel did to make this happen. Paul puts the earthly life of Christ and the risen life of Christ in the place of our obedience to the commandments. In other words, he shows that Jesus did fulfill what you and I can't. He bridged the gap. He is the mediator, the, the one who goes between God and goes between man, who is able to speak to God on our behalf. Jesus is the righteousness of the law. And he talks about him in that way. And that is the key to justification. That is the point to what he said in Romans 10.4, just that we read, that he was the end of the law. In other words, he says, I've done it for you. I've taken care of this for you. And so going back to those feelings and why we are here and what's the point of this justification, what's the point of this nation of Israel and God dealing with this people and me living in the United States here in 2009? How does it connect? It connects because in your heart of hearts, you know that you are not good enough. 
that there are imperfections, that there are problems with you, that there is a dark side of you that you don't like people to know about. Why? Because it is who you really are. And if they know who I really am, they're not going to like me very much because I'm pretty selfish, I'm pretty sick, I'm pretty twisted. Why is that there? It's pointing you to something. It is pointing you to the righteousness of Jesus Christ and him taking your imperfection and dealing with it, being what you and I cannot be, fulfilling what we lack. And we know it. The nation of Israel didn't see it. There comes a time when we say, I can do it myself. I can get it myself. The other day I was putting up a ceiling fan. Ugh. And, I, and I, I needed help. And my wife asked, do you need any help? And I should have said yes. But I didn't say yes. I'm a man. I'm going to put up this fan myself. Give me the hammer. I'll make it fit. You know, uh, and I was there holding this up, and you know, you, you've got to get these screws in, and the fan's heavy, and you've got to kind of twist it first and make it go in so that you can get the screws in. And I just, I could have used some help. My arm's getting tired because the screw won't fit, and it's just a little bent, you know, so it won't fit in. And I was very frustrated. Anyway, the point of that story <laughs> is that we need help, that there are times when we do have to cry out for help, where we do recognize help, where we do recognize the problems that we are in. And that's what Christ is for. And we all have this. We all recognize the areas in our lives. The Jews didn't want to recognize it. They said, I can do it myself. And then once you start comparing yourself to other people, you can start numbing this conscience that you have. Because I'm better than them. I'm not as bad as her. I've got it more together than him. And so we start putting these comparisons together, and we always compare ourselves to someone who's less than us. We kind of stay away from the people who are better than us because that makes us feel bad. And the nation of Israel, they compared themselves against the other nations and say, we've got God, we've got the law, we're better than them. And they stopped comparing themselves to God and say, we're in trouble. They say, we'll just do our laws, our rituals, our regulations, and that will be good enough. And it was never meant to be that. And so they had missed their mark. And that's what God is trying to bring us to a place where we recognize what was the point? What was the point of the law? And what is the point of faith in Christ? It is that we might be justified before God. And I love verse 8. Verse 8 is just a beautiful verse. It says, But what does it say? Again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. The word, what is the word of faith we're proclaiming? 
It is the message of Jesus Christ. You see, what Moses was teaching us way back then was that there was a faith through righteousness in Jesus Christ. That there was one who was going to descend and there was one who was going to rise again from the dead who was going to be able to justify us. And the word is there. It's near to you, even in your mouth. It's just at the tip of your tongue. It is in your heart. You can't get any closer to that. And you see, he is now opening up this door and he's trying to show them Do you not understand that all along God's intention was not just for the nation of Israel, it was for the whole world. God is swinging the doors open and he's saying, come on in. Jesus told the parable of the man who invited the guests to his wedding and they said, oh, I'm busy, I can't make it, I can't come. He says, get out to the streets. Anyone you can invite, bring them in. Bring them in and tell them, hey, there's room here in the wedding. Come on, you can be a part of it. And so they all came in, and they were all in there, except one person wasn't dressed properly, and he was kicked out into outer darkness. What is that about? He wasn't dressed with the righteousness that only God gives that is found in Jesus Christ. So even though God is swinging the door open, The way we get in is through the person of Jesus Christ. By faith in him. How do we we get there? What is this? It's it's on my lips. It's in my heart. It's that close. Well, he tells us in verse 9. You have to connect verse 9, which is very familiar with most of us, to verse 8. What Paul is saying. Verse 9, it says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We just saw in verse 8, it is near to you in your mouth, it is there in your heart. Salvation in Christ is near. It's on the tip of your tongue. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is believe, and it's open to you. So those confusion, confusing thoughts and feelings and, and the guilt that you experience and the, the darkness of your soul that you know is there, that you wonder about, how do I get rid of it? It's on the tip of your tongue. It's right in your heart. It's putting faith in Jesus Christ that you will confess and acknowledge that he is the Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead. You're saved. Wait, how can it be that easy? It's got to be something more I have to do. There's got to be something else that's necessary. But he tells us that it is with your heart, verse 10, that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, the heart and the mouth that is talking about both in verse 8, 9, and 10 are connected together. It's not one or the other, or this one does this job and this one does this job. They are both working connected together to produce something. Jesus said, from the abundance of our heart, our mouths speak. What what comes out of our lives is really what's already inside of us. What we proclaim is what we already are inside. And so salvation comes by having faith. It's in your heart that you believe and are justified. 
It's with your heart you believe and are made righteous. Justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, this makes me wonder, what am I saying? What comes out of my life, life and what out of my mouth? A lot of us have a hard time sharing our faith. We feel awkward, we feel inadequate. I don't know what to say, I, you know, I'm all thumbs, and that's not a good thing to be when you're talking, you know, you, you, should, you should have some kind of verbiage in there, and I'm, I've got two left feet, and I, I don't know what to say, I'm not gifted in speaking. But you speak. Our lives speak. What are our lives saying? What are our lives producing? How are we proclaiming? And what are we proclaiming? Question. Because all of us are speaking something. What are we speaking? And if there is no Christ coming out of our life, no confession, we need to check our hearts and see what's going on inside. How important is this? Do we recognize what it means to be saved? Have you ever been in a situation, a place where you realized you were in trouble and things could go bad really fast, really quick, and then it was averted? Remember one time we went up to a men's retreat. It was up in what's that, Apple Valley or something like that. And one of our friends, James Wortman, many of you know him, he took his mountain bike up there and he was up there in the mountains and during free time he was riding it around, and then on the way to come home, I said, hey, James, since we're riding together, can I ride your bike down the mountain? Because it was like way up this hill, and I thought, this is great. I didn't have to ride up. I get to just go down, and he said, sure, you can ride down, and so I get on his bike, and I start going down this mountain, and it was pretty steep, and I was having a blast. I was, you know, leaning into it and, you know, sailing. And you could see there's no cars, so, like, the whole road's mine, you know. I'm just sitting there, and I'm just feeling the wind. My eyes are watering because of the wind coming in there. And I went around this one turn, and there was some loose gravel there. And I hit the loose gravel, and I went, and on the other side here, there was the cliff. I'm, yeah, there is. You didn't know about this, did you, Corrine? Uh, <laughs> there was this cliff. I mean, and it, it went pretty far down, and I'm heading right for it, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm dead. I'm thinking I'm dead. And I remember talking to James afterwards, and he said, yeah, when I saw that, you hit that gravel, and we're heading, I was thinking, oh no, what am I going to tell his children? You know, it's just like, how, how am I going to get past that? And so I'm skating, and I'm, my heart's just, it's over. And then all of a sudden, the tire catches, and I'm able to kip on and, you know, drive on like, yeah, I meant to do that. You know, it's just <laughs> that idea I, I was saved. I didn't go off the cliff. I felt like I was going to. I almost had a heart failure just knowing going to the edge of that cliff. But I was rescued from that. Well, do you recognize that we have been rescued, that we have been saved? What have we been saved from? 
We've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been saved from our guilty conscience. We've been saved from our sin. We've been saved from hell. We were going to the end and Jesus rescued us. And if we believe that, I tell you, when I got to the bottom of the hill and it finally ended and it started leveling off and I started having to pedal, then I was done. You know, okay, I'm done now. I don't want to need to pedal. I just wanted to go down. When I got in the car, the first thing we talked about was that turn. I thought I was going to die. And James, I thought you were dead too. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. And he didn't, apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> The first thing that was on our tongues when we got into that car and started talking was how I didn't die. Our lives have been rescued. We've been brought to this place where we've been saved. And so as we enter verses 9 through 13, there is an overwhelming emphasis of what God has done, how he's opened the doors and how he's made a way for us, the Gentiles, to come in. And notice just from verses 11 through 13, as the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew, Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses who? All who call on his name for who? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can see that Paul is thinking, what does the heart do with Christ? It believes. What does the mouth do? It confesses. That's what they're supposed to do. And together, the heart and confession produce just this life that is responsive to God's salvation. And, and who gets this salvation? Those who are of the nation Israel? No. Jews? Yeah. And Gentiles. Who's it for? It's for everyone. It's for you. It's for me. A lot of you maybe have grown up in church. You've gone to church and you've heard Jesus died for my sins and you need to be saved. And you think, what is, you know, your idea of being saved is my idea of not falling off the cliff. And you're wondering, well, what does this mean to me and my relationship with God? And, and that's what Paul is bringing home. He's bringing home this point that there is something that needs to take place within us that can connect us to the God who is holy. What needs to take place is belief in the one who is able to bridge that gap between the holiness of God and our condition. And salvation is dealing with our condition. Not sweeping it under the rug, but healing it. See, so many times we, we, we're doing things thinking, well, I'll go to church. I'll, you know, I'll be nice to my parents or I'll, you know, I'll put some tithe into the, the box there in the back. I'm, I'm going to do these things and, and that's going to be okay. And we're, we're trying to appease God and, and our conscience and our conditions. And it's like trying to heal ourselves by, by doing sit-ups when we have cancer. And it, it, it's not enough. 
It doesn't work that way. It takes a surgery from God. And it takes us saying, do it. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. And it's an amazing thing to me. And, and I, I think about this every now and then. I'll think of the day that I said, okay, Jesus, in my life. What happened? I mean, I was heading this way, and God turned me this way. How did it happen? I, I wasn't thinking about I wasn't thinking much about anything, to tell you the truth. Someone asked me to say a prayer with them. I said a prayer, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, yeah, I, I believe in you, and yeah, I want you into my life. And all of a sudden, I'm on a different road. I'm in a different place. I'm, I'm aware of different things. All of a sudden, I see what I couldn't see before. I am hearing the voice of God that I couldn't hear before. I'm experiencing the reality of God in my life that I never knew before. Why? Because I went to church? Because I did these things? No, because with my mouth I said, yeah, I want this. And with my heart said, yeah, I believe. He's there. And all of a sudden, God showed up big time. It was just, boom, he's there. And I was like, whoa, who are you? Oh, yeah, you're the one I was asking about, but I didn't know you were like that. You're real. And what happens in that moment where we just say and believe and salvation comes into our lives and it changes everything in a moment of time? I didn't think about it going, I didn't go to that Bible study saying, you know, I think tonight I'm going to get saved. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. First, I'm going to, you know, cry. And that's always looks good, you know. And then, you know, I'll get on my knees. That'll look good. And then I'll say the prayer. Then I'll be saved. I don't know what I was thinking. And then all of a sudden, in a moment's time, just with a confession of my mouth and a belief in my heart, my life has changed. And God wants to do that with you. God wants to do that with us. When our heart is awakened to see and embrace Christ as our righteousness, immediately you are in him and his righteousness is credited to you. That is what we're saved by and how we are saved. It's credited to us. We now have his righteousness. How righteous are you? I'm as righteous as Jesus. Why? Because I asked him. Can you help me here? And he did. God's word to us this morning is that all his riches, his forgiveness, his justification, the freedom from guilt, condemnation, the freedom from shame that he talks about in verse 11, those who trust in me will not be put to shame. And all the satisfying fellowship is extended to us freely. Whatever your background, wherever you're coming from, doesn't matter. And just here in these verses, the expansive heart of God, everyone, Jew, Greek, all who call on his name will be saved. Confession, your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, is recognizing who he is, what he's done, and then believing it. 
And if you do that, you get to be connected to the living God. You have fellowship with him. He speaks to you. You are able to speak to him. We talked Friday night at the young adults. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Think about that. See God. We talked about Moses, how he spoke to God as someone speaks face to face. And there was a time when Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I can't. It'll kill you. But Moses' heart was, God, I want all of you. I want all of you. And do you realize that the only way our hearts can be pure is to ask God to do it and believe in what Jesus has done so that it can be done. And guess what? Then we will be able to see God. What does that mean? That's another study. But for us this morning, the importance of recognition of who we are, who God is, and who Jesus is, and the difference he makes in our lives so that we can be forgiven, that we can recognize it doesn't matter where I come from. It doesn't matter what I'm carrying. God has dealt with it. Let's pray. Lord, I know with myself there are times when I am more aware of salvation than others, where I'm more reminded of where I was, where I was headed, who I was, and who you are making me. There are times when I remember that cliff so clearly, and there are other times where it, it just seems distant and unreal. But Father, I know that there are some here this morning who are haunted at night in their soul, in their fear, in their shame. Fearful that someone will find them out, know who they really are. And the wonderful thing is you do and have opened the door so that they can come to you. The beautiful thing is that you know the darkest things about us, but love us still. The beautiful thing is you have done what is necessary so that we can be with you, and it is so close. It is a breath. It is a whisper away. It is a heartbeat away. All it takes is our saying, I want that. I believe in you. And you do the rest. And it's an amazing thing, God, that you would make the way so easy for anyone, for everyone, for us. Lord, I pray that this morning, if, if there are those here who recognize their condition 
recognize the place of their hearts and can see that they are not near you, but desire to be near you, that they would not let pride stop them, that they would not miss the mark as did the example of Israel trying to do it their own way instead of relying on the one that you sent. Lord, I pray if someone is here and needs to make that confession, that they would, that you would draw them. I don't always do this, but I feel this passage warrants us making an invitation that if someone would like to acknowledge, make a confession that I I want to believe and I want to do that this morning, If you want to raise your hand, I'll just acknowledge that with you and maybe say a prayer with you. I'm not going to make you stand up or be embarrassed, but I do want to give you opportunity to say, I need this. I I feel it's right there. It's at the tip of my tongue. It's in my heart. I just need to make that step. If you're here and you'd like to do that, raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. I want to pray, and I'd like you guys to just pray with me. It's a prayer of faith. It's not a special prayer, but it is that step, acknowledging what Jesus has done. As I pray, just repeat after me. Father, I recognize my condition, and I need your help. I need forgiveness from all my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, that you paid the price for me and that you are at the right hand of God interceding for me. Cleanse my heart. Come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may live for you. I receive forgiveness. In the name of your son, Jesus.